Well, if you have your Bible today, I want you to open to Psalm 1. I've got a lot of scripture. And, and many of you um, uh, have been doing a reading plan. Many of you have uh, the Bible app, you know, on your phone. Uh, if you actually launch your Bible app and you go over to the side more and you click on the event, you can actually come, uh, come to a place where you'll see all of our notes are right there on the app for you today, all the scriptures. And you can actually add your own notes in and, uh, and save it so you can go back and look for it. So if you have that Bible app, uh, I would really encourage you uh, to use it. Or you could go uh, Bible app 1.0, which is pen and paper, right? You could use that too. You know, uh, I, I made a joke uh, that Maria, Maria actually, uh, st- I think I caught her, you know, in preparation for this women's conference. She was out in the forest chopping down trees because she's got notebooks of things that God has said uh, to her and spoken to her. And, and, and I, I want you to understand that that is actually a way of stewarding what God says to you. That when you actually write things down or jot a note down on your phone and you save it, that's how you say, hey, I can come back and say, hey, what did God speak to me last week? What did God, what was God saying to me last month or last year? And I can actually go back to that as a resource and, and actually remember what the Lord is saying. Well, um, Today, we're going to continue in this series called The Pathways of Victory. And there are many pathways that God has given to us so that you and I can walk victoriously in this life through Christ. Uh, By the way, it is not God's plan for you to, to walk through this life defeated. I'm glad I got about four believers in here today. Come on. It is not God's plan for you to walk through life defeated. Listen, Jesus came out of the grave. Not even death could hold him as the grand example to us who place faith in him that there is victory in Jesus. Now, we've been looking at Psalm 1 because Psalm 1 is is a great description of what of what victory really looks like in the life of a believer. And, and if you haven't been following along, please go to calvary.online. You can, all of the messages from this series are right there. But I want you to do something with me today. Uh, as Mackenzie was saying earlier in worship, there is something powerful when what God has said gets put on our lips. When we say what God is saying, then you suddenly begin to reap the reward of what God is saying. Uh, Proverbs chapter 14, it says it this way. It says, the power of life and death are in the tongue, and those who love it will eat the fruit thereof. That means if you speak the right things, if you're saying what God is saying, there'll be life that comes. But how many of you know we're pretty good at saying all the wrong things? And all the wives said, amen. All right, we're good at saying the wrong things. But here today, why don't we read this together? Psalm 1, this great description of a victorious life. It it begins this way. By the way, I'm reading from the New King James Version, and you may have all kinds of version, maybe the Passion Translation or whatever, but you should know the New King James is straight from God's lip to the page. Okay, it's the it listen, your version may be good, but mine is better. Okay, New King James. <laughs> Here we go. Let's read it aloud together. 
Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Man, that is a good good verse is a group of verses and you need to understand that God wants you to be blessed he wants you to experience his undeserved favor in the new testament we call that grace here the word uh, blessed first definition is happy uh, which was why we talked about celebration last week we talked about the role of joy in our life, but what we find out is this person who lives in this pathway of victory, they are like a tree unaffected by the season that it's going through. Why? Because it's planted by the river. And the river is a picture of God's presence. It flows from his throne in Ezekiel 47 and Revelation 22. And, and if you want more context of those verses, you can go back and listen to the other sermons. But I will tell you this, in Revelation 22, the river described here in Psalm 1 does not look like our river. The river in Revelation 22, it flows down Main Street in heaven. You know, the streets in heaven are paved with gold. It is Main Street in heaven. It's not a, not a river that runs around mountains and valleys and rocks. And mud if it's the Withlacoochee. <laughs> it's not that kind of river. The river of God's presence flows down places God intends people to walk in in heaven. He makes these streets. He makes Main Street. And it leads to his throne. So people in heaven walk in the street and the river of God's presence is passing over them. And the figurative language here is that on the sides of the street, there are these trees in Revelation 22. They produce fruit every month. And it says the leaves of these trees are given for the healing of the nation. Here in Psalm 1, it says their leaves don't wither. The word wither in Hebrew means disgrace. It says, listen, the reason, he says, the far reaches of a person who gets plugged into the presence of God and allows God's grace to change them, even the far reaches of their life will be filled with grace so much that it could heal the nations. I know some of you are like, man, I just need grace to heal my laundry basket. I just need some other kind of uh, simple grace, but I'm, I don't know. I don't have a verse for your laundry basket, okay? Not today anyway. But I do know that when you, as a son or a daughter of God, position yourself on these paths that God fills with his presence, your life will bring healing to those in need. And that's what this world needs. This world doesn't need another crop of, of shallow Christians. We need some believers who will go below. I'm going deep. I'm, going, I'm, I'm, I'm coming out of surface level living. And I'm going deep in the presence of God. And I'm going to allow his grace to change me. And his spirit to change me. You say, oh, how do I take advantage of that? Here's all you got to do. Get on those streets. 
Get in those places where God's presence is flowing. In Psalm 1, it's called meditation. It's a place that God, God prepared where we're meditating on the word. Now, we've been talking about the different streets, these different places where God brings his presence and his grace into our lives so that we look more like him, so that we bear fruit in our life, so that we make a difference. And today we're going to talk about the pathway of victory called worship. I tell you, I don't know how you preach on celebration and it doesn't lead into worship. Now this one, uh, as I mentioned, we, we talk about these, these streets and really maybe classically you would have called these the, the Christian disciplines. You know, it's like, it's like prayer and, 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 and fasting and uh, sometimes silence and, and sometimes retreat and sometimes service. And there, there, there are lots of different things that God calls us to. But listen, God never intends for us to do anything in the kingdom out of duty. We do them in response to who he is. We do them in response to what he has prepared for us. Now listen, today we're going to look at the pathway of worship. And on the heels of the Arise Women's Conference, I, I have to say this publicly, we have women to thank in Christianity for some of the greatest revelations on worship that there are. We do. I'm grateful for all that David said throughout the Psalms and the many Psalm writers that are there. But I have to tell you that David never broke an alabaster box. He didn't break an alabaster box. There was a woman who came with an alabaster box in John chapter 12 and she broke the box and the fragrance of her worship, it filled the whole house. And Jesus said, that moment is so significant that every time you hear my story, you're going to hear her story. That's what Jesus said. Everywhere the gospel is preached, you are going to hear about this woman worshiping. Why? Why does he connect? This woman worshiping to the gospel. Could it be that he is pointing toward a deeper truth? That in order for the, the church to carry the gospel to the whole world, we need to become the woman worshiping. So that our worship in the here and now is married to the message of the saving grace of God found in Jesus Christ. I got to tell you, I believe in the last hour, God is raising up a worshiping church. He is raising up those who are breaking the alabaster box. It's not just women. It's women and men who say, God, I am giving you the costliest parts of my life. And when you hear the gospel story, you ought to be hearing the story of, oh, how these people worship. Some of you are processing what I just said. We have another woman to thank for a, 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 one of the greatest revelations that we have on worship. Um, she was a, a Samaritan woman filled with shame drawing water in the middle of the day and 
Jesus comes to find her at Jacob's well. And in John chapter 4, as we, we, we attempt to learn some things about this pathway of victory called worship, we have to look at this passage and, and glean from it. It says, the woman said to him, sir, I perceive you a prophet. Why does she say that? Why does she, she say, sir, I perceive you're a prophet? It's because that he, when he came to her, he said, would you give me a drink? And, and she says, well, well you know... Um, uh, why are you having anything to do with me? He said, if you knew who was talking to you, you'd ask me for a drink and I would give it and you'd never thirst again. She said, wait, you don't even have a bucket. What are you talking about? He says, go and get your husband. She says, I have no husband. He, she, Jesus said, you've spoken rightly. The one you have now, he's not your husband and you lost all the other husbands you had before. And then she says, sir, I perceive you are a prophet. But in my opinion, in my opinion, if there was a good way to end the conversation, I think she attempts to right here. Sir, I perceive you are a prophet. And then she goes into her Twitter rant. (laughs) Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews... Say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Oh, she did. She stepped right in to racial tension, religious tension, and even, because religion was tied to it, political tension. How many of you know that's a good way to end a conversation? (laughs) Hello. Hello. I need to bring you into this world. I need you to understand why we need the victory associated with worship. Jesus says to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither worship on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Worship the Father. You worship what you do not know and we worship uh, we know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews notice he told her the truth but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and in truth the father is seeking such to worship him god is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth this is a great revelation of worship A great revelation of worship. And if you want a nugget today, I'm about to give you one. Some of you are like, oh, Bible nerds, you're excited. Some of you are like, what is he talking about, a nugget? If you back up just a few stories, a few days, you find Jesus at a wedding, probably a relative's wedding. They run out of wine. His mom comes to him and says, they're out of wine. And then he says this, "Uh, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And yet, just a few days later, 
after he gets baptized in the Jordan and the Spirit comes upon him, he says this, the hour is coming and now is. Something happened between the wedding and the well. It was Jesus got anointed and there was a revelation that he was the savior of the world. You see, at the wedding, it was still hidden. But at the well, he wanted to give a revelation of who he was. And in that moment, he was saying, the way you get the revelation is worship. It's worship. It will position you for revelation. Now this word worship here, it's powerful. It's not your average word, it's proscunio. It's the idea that I have found myself in the presence of someone that I greatly value. They are so valuable to me, I will kneel... And kiss the ground between us. Has your worship of God ever looked like that? That when you're worshiping, suddenly you get overwhelmed with the idea that the creator of the universe is near you. And you so value that space. You're like, God, I don't want anything to come between us. And this idea, it literally means to kiss toward. It means, God, I am so captured by who you are. Oh, and Jesus says something else that ought, to, that ought to cause something in our hearts to celebrate. As we mentioned last week, he says, those who worship the Father will worship him in spirit and in truth. And the Father is seeking such. Now, I've read my Bible enough to know our God needs nothing. What? In the world, does a God who needs nothing go looking for? Let me tell you, biblically, not much. Oh, but if somebody can find themselves in a place where their adoration of him has has come from a revelation of Jesus, then certainly there is a moment where God says, I know you came here to seek me, but you need to understand I have come seeking you. I am come looking for you. And church, I believe that the greatest deficiency in many of our, our church services around the world world is that we're not seeking God. We seek an experience. Perhaps uh, we seek a little bit of, of comfort, but we don't seek God. But I've got good news that when you begin to worship God in spirit and in truth, the Father says, oh wait, everything else can be put on hold. I'm coming to find them. I'm coming to interact with them. And believe me, Just like this woman in her broken state at Jacob's well where she has all kinds of devastation in her past, all kinds of shame weighing her down, God comes and finds those worshipers. And this woman becomes responsible for one of the greatest revivals that happened in the region. Now worship is our response to who God is and what he's done. And worship 
It's kindled, listen, when the Spirit of God touches our human spirit. And this is why it's important to understand that our singing, praying, and praising, they may all lead to worship, but we haven't worshiped until His Spirit touches our spirit and our hearts begin to burn with a holy flame. That's what worship really is. It's not that I just go and sing. People ask me from time to time, uh, you know, I came to your church and there was a lot of singing. It's usually in this moment I say, you know, um, I don't know what you're talking about. Because I didn't see any singing. They're like, no, 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 no. Like the first half hour. That's all you, get, that's all you did was sing. I think, oh, you thought that was singing. No, that was us responding to what God has done in our life. No, that was us worshiping. Listen, anybody can sing. Listen, I'm glad they don't do it anymore. But they used to try to sing down at Applebee's on Saturday night down there with a karaoke, okay? That's singing, kind of. That's singing. That's not what's happening here. What we are doing is turning our hearts toward heaven in response to who God is, in response to his grace, in response to his love, and suddenly his presence comes down. And he says, oh, I've come to love you, son. I've come to restore you, daughter. I've come to empower you. You see, that's worship. Yes. That's worship. Yes. Oh, and Jesus clearly defined the aim of our worship. You see, after Jesus was baptized and, and then the Spirit came upon him and rested upon him, it says immediately the Spirit of God took him to the desert. Ekbalo is the word. It actually threw him into the desert, thrust him, forced him into the desert. And there he was fasting for 40 days and Satan came and tempted him. And one of the times in Matthew chapter 4, verse 8, the devil took him up to an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and proscunio me and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, away, from, uh, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. He is saying, listen, you are only to worship God. There will be always other voices competing for your worship, competing for your affection. But we need to say what Jesus said, away from me. Get away from me, Satan. Get away from the things that are, that are trying to steal my affection. I will worship God and worship him alone. You see, all week long in daily prayer, I kept hearing this word, plumb line, plumb line, plumb line. And as I was praying about the plumb line, God was saying, hey, I want you to, I want you to make sure that we're praying that people's, li people's lives are aligned with my basic truths. The first one we prayed through was out of Psalm 27. Hello. Hello. Verse 1, 
Psalm 27, and here's the plumb line. He says, one thing have I desired. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon his beauty, to inquire of him in his temple. For in a day of trouble, he will hide me in his pavilion. He will set me high upon the rock. You see, he was saying, oh, I need my church back at a one thing heart where they will worship one thing. They've been trying to worship other things and it's left them empty. You worship relationships, you worship the dollar, you worship culture, you worship pleasure seeking, but oh, I'm telling you, the plumb line is being held up and God is saying, oh, if you'll just worship me, I'll bring things into alignment in your life. We're called to worship God and him alone. You know, when you begin to worship God that way, probably something is going to die. How many of you have ever been in that place? You're like, man, I gave my life Christ. Yes, I got saved. And the next day, it got worse. Come on, I know some people in here can testify. Like I had to go through something. That's right. Because it's likely the things that we have been depending on in former seasons, they need to die in order for us to see the greatness of God. This is what happened in Isaiah. When Isaiah, it says, in the year King Uzziah died, I I saw the Lord high and lifted up. When God removed the man that was in charge, the one of authority, he says, when God removed him, then I saw the Lord. He was high and lifted up. And the train of his robe, the victory after victory after victory, it filled the temple. And he says, and the plague was shaking and the angels were shouting holy 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 is the Lord God Almighty and here's the man of the hour Isaiah himself quoted by Jesus more than any other prophet this man is God's man God's voice and when he has a proper revelation of God in Isaiah 6 5 he says this woe is me I'm undone because I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of people with unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You see, you see this man who was being used by God as God's voice, God's mouthpiece. He said, my revelation of God has been so shallow. But it wasn't until something died that was supporting him. Something he was leaning on died. And it was in that moment he saw God was greater than he could have ever imagined. And it turned into a moment of worship where he said, God, I need you to clean me up. I know you call me a prophet, but these lips haven't matched your greatness. And see, worship will bring you to the place where you get a revelation of Jesus because now's the hour. Now's the time where I get a revelation of Jesus and suddenly, in light of who he is, I begin to 
get an understanding of grace. I start to get an understanding of mercy. Me not getting what I deserve. And oh, do I begin to understand and worship the radiance of his holiness expressed in a God who loves me. It causes us to shift and change and, 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 and our perspectives. We reevaluate them. Why? Because something died so we could see. See clearly the goodness and the greatness and the grace of God. And this path where God puts his grace called worship. I want to give you just today just two truths about this path where God's grace will come to you when you choose to worship. First, worship must be our priority. It has to be our priority. It has to be first. You see, in Matthew 22, verse 37, Jesus being tested by a lawyer, he answers him and says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets you see here he says there's a first commandment and a second commandment listen to me church the first commandment is to love God it is to love God with all of our hearts undivided with all of our soul, the very essence of who we are, with all of our minds, imagine what it looks like for the church to begin to love God with their minds. As I mentioned, that in every season we need to celebrate by what? Creating. That's loving God with your mind. That how God can you use this intellect and these gifts and these talents for your glory. How do they, they bring more honor and glory to God? It is then, it's in those moments we're loving God with our mind. And then in another passage it says to also love God with our strength. You see, loving God has to be our first priority. Otherwise, our service of people may turn into idolatry. If you get the second command before the first command, meaning, okay, I'll just do my best to love people. Perhaps I'll do a, a, a program. I'll do, I'll do something, you know, to make a difference. But you, you do that exempt from loving God and putting him first, you are in danger of making a ministry an idol. Now, let me, uh, let, me, let, me, let me just kind of bring it home for you here. Our services here are not designed for you to become fans of a worship band. Our services and even our sermons and our ministries, you are not, uh, they are not designed for you to become fans of my preaching or our ministry. We have no interest in that. 
Let me tell you what we're really interested in. We are interested that during worship there would be an unseen river flowing in this place and you would leave and say, I don't know the name of the song. I don't even know who led that one. Oh, but the freedom that came from the presence of God in my life as I made God the priority. You may say, I, I hope and pray that you glean some scriptural truth from today oh but if a glory cloud comes down on you in the middle of this message and you think to yourself I have no idea what he's talking about but oh this presence that's resting on me now I feel God I feel his presence he's doing something in me he's changing me that's what we're after that's what we're after The simplest of truths in the church is this. We can't save anyone. We can't heal anyone. Our best efforts really can't help someone eternally. Oh, but there is a God who sent his son who got up out of the grave declaring that he has a victory for us. And if we will invite him to be involved, then all bets are off. All things are possible to them who believe. Now, I'm sorry if this is your first time coming to a church filled with believers. (laughs) He wrote it, we believe it. Welcome to the kingdom of God. Our services are intentionally, and I'm going to use a a, a theological term, they're doxological in nature. Some of you, some of you, maybe you came from a more traditional time and uh, you, would, you would read through the service and at the end of the service there would be a doxology, a hymn of sorts that would bring to conclusion the meeting. Uh, doxology does not mean conclusion. It actually means for the glory of God. Our service is here so that no man No man, no woman, no ministry gets exalted are doxological in nature. That means they are for the glory of God. And we believe that if God will make this a place where he is celebrated, then guess what's going to happen? People are going to be saved. People are going to be delivered. People are going to be set free. The demonized are going to go free. Cancer is going to bow its knee to the name of Jesus. We will see the kingdom of God on earth in this place. Why? Because we live for the glory of God. Not the glory of man. So worship is our priority. But let me give you this one. And saints, we need this reminder. Worship is our passion. You say, oh, I can tell, pastor. You're pretty zesty over there. (laughs) That's not what passion means. You think passion just means emotionally expressive. That's not what that means at all. The word passion in the Bible, its literal definition is suffering. That's why on Good Friday, we call it the passion. It's not his emotional expression. It is the suffering. So when I say that our worship must be passionate, our worship must be something that we are willing to suffer for. 
Oh, all around the world right now, there are, there are believers who today, who secretly, who secretly left their homes and found dark spaces in caves in China. Oh, but there's some more. I saw the pictures just a few days ago. There are others who are walking in the war-torn streets of Ukraine. Come on, you need to hear about this. The war-torn streets. Bombs have gone off. Buildings have fallen down. So do you know what has happened? The church started a tents and thousands upon thousands are coming into the kingdom right now in Ukraine why because the church says listen I'm willing to suffer if it means bombs drop bullets fly it doesn't matter the gospel must be proclaimed and what's happening there when they said our worship must be our passion there are thousands coming to the Lord in Ukraine right now and it's not just about food and water. And while all of that is happening simultaneously, there is a great harvest taking place. Why? Because God has found a church that says, listen, if my worship costs me something, I'm still going to worship. I'm still going to worship. And in the face of extreme persecution, these words were penned in Hebrews chapter 10. It says, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another so that so, that, so much more as you see the day approaching. He was saying, listen, the early church had this clear knowledge that when we get together and worship, God's going to move. God's going to show up. They had this clear understanding, and that's why, that's why the writer of Hebrews is saying, listen, listen, don't forget to get together. I know he meets with you in private. I know there's a whole bunch of lies out there that says you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. That is a lie. That's a lie, and I would say it this way. You may not attend church, but you can't be a biblical Christian and totally be devoid of assembling with other brothers and sisters. You just can't do it. You may be a Christian, you're just not a biblical one. And so here we have this clear knowledge of the working of the presence of God. Listen, they knew the veil had been torn on the temple. They knew that when Jesus cried out, paid in full to Telestai, when he said, it is finished, that the veil was rent from top to bottom and the presence that had been separated from the people was now available to all who place faith in the Messiah. Suddenly when they gathered, the presence that was behind the curtain showed up in their rooms. You see, it, it showed up in Acts 4 out of a time of great uh, persecution. It showed up and when they he said, Lord, now listen to your servants and grant unto your servants that with all boldness we may preach your word. Stretch forth your hand that, at my, that with your hand, Lord, with mighty signs and wonders may be done. At the name of Jesus, it said that while they were praying, the whole place was shaken. Why? Why did God shake the place? Could it be that their willingness to suffer in the early church led to a worship that affected the region? It would be an outlier if it only happened once. But there was another moment in Acts chapter 16. Listen, listen to this truth. 
It says it this way, Acts 16, 22, it says, Then the multitude rose up together against them. This is Paul and Silas. And the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, uh, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying... And complaining to God. Wait a minute. I got that one wrong. Beaten. Bleeding. Bruised. Chained. Feet. In stocks. They are praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening. I will throw this in. Paul and Silas, though they were in chains and feet in stock, they were not prisoners. Because the prisoners were listening. Oh, but the sons who had been set free, they were worshiping and they were praying. And look at what happened. Look at what happened. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all of the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. Here is what you need to grab a hold of. Listen, it, I don't believe that they were praying and worshiping God about the stocks and the chains. I believe they were praying and worshiping God because of who he is, regardless of the circumstance. And when God found some people who said, worship is my passion, God, you are my passion, and I'm willing to suffer, and I'm willing to be persecuted, I'm willing to be beaten, I'm willing to be bruised, and I'm still going to worship, God comes down, and what does he do? In response to two people worshiping, he shakes a region. Oh, what would Citrus County look like if God found some sons and daughters who said I don't care what I'm going through I'm gonna worship it doesn't matter what Satan's been throwing at me I'm gonna worship I believe what we would experience is a shaking for the glorious kingdom of God You see, what you've got to understand about worship is your worship of God is not only about what you can receive. Sometimes your worship is about what God wants to release. Because it would be miraculous enough if God came and Paul and Silas's chains fell off and their prison door swung open and they walked out of prison. But that's not what it says. It says, all the chains fell off. All the prison doors came open. What unlocked the prison? What broke the prison? It was the worshipers of ones who said, God, I'm willing in the midst of my suffering out of a revelation of your goodness and your grace and your holiness and your love. I'm willing to worship. And God says, oh, I will come and I will seek those worshipers out and I'll shake that region with my love and my grace and prisoners will go free. If you find yourself here today saying, I don't know which I am. I don't know if I'm a believer who worships or 
or if I'm just listening. I've got good news. Psalm 30, 34, 3 says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. There's an invitation. No matter what has you bound, no matter what has you chained, from a God who loves you, from a God who's for you, to come into relationship with him, and he'll give you reason to worship.